Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. Hey, welcome to Oak City Church. If you're online, we're glad that you have tuned in with us this morning. Just a couple things. We had a birthday and business meeting this last Sunday night. It was super encouraging. Um, thanks to all of you that made it out. Uh, probably the, the, um, the biggest announcement is, and, and um, if you have questions about this, but that we're adding, we found a, a student ministry director, and she turned out to already be here. That was a long process that God worked through in a third interview with the candidate and the realization through that that Kelly would do a great job at that. And so we've added on to Kelly's job description, and she's going to be doing that. That was super exciting. Um, uh, and then just last, last how, who, am I, who went camping this Friday night or hiking or whatever. There's 50-some people out there. I heard that that was a fantastic time, so thanks for that. And there's just a lot. As the COVID numbers drop, um, just in a sense, like recreating a sense of community um, for the church, and that was a great event for that. Last Sunday night was a great event for that. Friday night, um, the ladies are having a wine and craft night here at 6 p.m., and so there's information about that online. We'd love to have you uh, join us for that, and then, um, and just throwing this out there, it's ahead, but the movie night on, how many people did the movie night last year? It was the first time we did it. Man, that was a lot of fun, and so, um, and so mark that, just try and mark that date off. It's starting to be Christmas party season on December 4th, but if you can make it out that night, uh, that was a fantastic night. So, uh, this morning, I'm normally the guy that teaches on Sundays, but not all the time, and, and a big part of that is because we just, I'm not the only one that's gifted to preach, and so we want to develop those gifts, and Dan has preached a whole bunch of times over the past few years, and so he's jumping into this series in First Peter, and he is going to be uh, speaking to us this morning. So Dan Fitzgerald, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, stay, Jeff, stay up here real fast. So the, the month of October is known as Pastor Appreciation Month, and I don't think a lot of us know that, right? And, and John Fouché's not here, um, so not only to say thank you to you, but to your family. I think you, we should take not just the month of October, but recognize the time, the commitment that you do, uh, the sweat, the blood, right? I'm, I'm going to try not to cry, but it, it just means a lot. So please, to you, Bobby Joe, your family, and John and his wife, like, thank you guys. So <laughs> say thank you. Jeff did not know that was coming, and he does not like surprises, if you did not know that. So, yeah, make sure you say thank you to him. Hey, listen, we're going to stand up real fast. There's a tradition we've been doing as a church, and a lot of churches do this. We're going to read scripture. And I'll be honest, uh, I had to ask Jeff, I was like, what is our proper response? Because I felt like every time he read it, I would say something different. So I will read the scriptures, and they'll be on the screen, and then I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and the church's response is... Thanks be to God. You guys, man, all right. So maybe it was only me that didn't know it, but okay. So here we go. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you love us enough that you don't leave us to ourselves, that you've given us your word and you've given us your son, Jesus. I pray today that your word is spoken. It's not me, that you silence me, that we hear from you and from the Holy Spirit today. For your honor and glory, in the name of Jesus we pray, 
Amen. So we have been in First Peter for the past seven weeks. This is week eight. So I have to make a couple of uh, uh, plugs with that in regards to First Peter. The first one is if you have missed any of these series, I think it's been fantastic and challenging and convicting. Go to YouTube and look up Oak City Church and you can find you can all the sermons. You can listen to them or watch them, whatever you prefer. So that's the first plug. Second plug is we are doing a reading plan. So today is October 31st. It started October 1st. So today is the 31st. That's what day it is of reading, right? You can still join. It's okay. Uh, you can catch up on it, but that's great. It's only two to three verses a day. There's a nice little devotional, and then people are commenting. So if you don't know about that, let us know, and we'll get you plugged in. And then the last plug is our home groups. If you are not in a home group, this is a great time to join. We have home groups that are going through series in First Peter, so they are diving deeper from the sermon series. Not all of them are, but if you don't even know what a home group is, I would love to talk to you, or you can email me, Dan at Oak City Church. So those are my, my plugs, all right? What I want to do today is, because uh, Jeff isn't teaching and I am, I, w I geek out a little bit on history. So I want to take a set step back and really kind of set the scene and the context for what was going on at the time that Peter wrote this letter to the Christians. So most scholars believe it was around 62 to 63 AD. This is under the reign of Emperor Nero. He is a bad dude. Uh, in the year 58 AD, he set half a Roman fire, but to save face, he blamed it on the Christians. Uh, so what he would actually do is he would use, take stakes and tie Christians to them and use them as human candles. He would cover them in dogs and animal skins and have dogs chase and kill them. Obviously, he put Christians in gladiator games for props, or they would fight gladiators or wild beasts, or he would crucify them. And Peter was believed to be crucified, hung on a cross in the year 64. So that's why they believe 62 to 63 AD is when it was written. And I think understanding the time period helps us look at First Peter and really s look at the light, especially last week. So Jeff talked, I'm going to read his verses. He talked through 9 and 10. And if I was Peter, I probably would have stopped writing after these two verses, but fortunately he kept. But it says this in verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. So when you look at that history, and then what Peter's doing, he's, he's really calling us into an identity, letting us know as Christians who we are, what God has done for us. So when you look at that, and we go back to our verses in 11 and 12, as we're going to talk through today, I want to leave us with three main points. The first one is that this is not our home. This is not our home. And because this is not our home, our second point will be that the passions of this world, and even the things of this world, will not satisfy us. And the third point is because this is not our home, what we do will not make sense to others. So that's our roadmap for where we're going to go through these two verses today. And I'll keep it under two hours. I'm kidding. Uh, so first, this is not our home, all right? Uh, what I love about this in First Peter, he starts with beloved. And what he's saying is, friends, hey, I love you. But more importantly, he's reminding them that they are loved by God. And then he says, I urge you. So when he says the word urge, when I started geeking out a little bit and looking at some of the Hebrew, it not only is he encouraging and motivating, it's almost a military term. Like he is calling them to arms. He's recruiting them. And he's saying, because we are sojourners and exiles. 
Now, different versions of the different Bibles say different things. I've read that they're aliens and strangers. There's also foreigners and pogrom in this world. And then the message, the, the message version says, friends, this world is not your home. So really, what he's reminding us is that we are not of this world. This is not our home. Anybody here like to be called a stranger, outcast? Don't show your hands. Don't. We can talk later. Uh, but what I want to do is I want to do a real fast history lesson. In the year 1996, there's a guy named Dr. Dan Herman. And he's a marketing strategist. And he discovered by research a phenomenon called the fear of missing out in 1996. And he coined it FOMO. And I want to I share his, his definition and it focuses more on the consumer, but hear it out real quick. It says this, most consumers expressed at one time or another a clearly fearful attitude, attitude towards the possibility of failing to exhaust their opportunities and complementarily to miss the expected joy of succeeding in doing so. A fearful attitude of missing an opportunity and the miss the expected joy. I think we can all resonate with that. I think we all have missed out of something or feel like we have or haven't had a fair chance. And what's interesting as I, I research more on FOMO, they say over 70% of us have experienced it in our, throughout our life. And they also say that sadly their only answers were to get rid of social media and to focus on what you have versus what you don't have. That was the answers. But I think there's a deeper meaning behind it. And I think really FOMO, you could say, comes from Genesis. So in the very, I'm going to paraphrase Genesis for us, but in the very beginning in Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth. And then he made everything in it, and he made man and woman. And he said, it is good. And then he, Adam and Eve were the first man and woman, and they walked and they talked daily with God. They were in communion. Things were good. But he said, there's one rule, just one rule. Don't eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So Satan basically says to them, he lies to them, well, you've got to eat that. You don't want to miss that opportunity. Plus, you can be like God. So they eat, and they break the shalom, the peace with God. And, and so the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 3 that the, the penalty is death. So I think we all can understand that there's just that hurt and that pain because we wanted we would do the same thing as Adam and Eve, but we would not want to miss out on that opportunity to be like God, and we still try to do that today. So Peter starts well. That's why throughout First Peter, he continues to remind us of our identity in Christ as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. Peter uses language over and over because we need to be reminded of who we are, not what we're missing, but who we are. And what's so important is if we are looking and take on the light of being a sojourner, an exile, an alien, we are reminded that we are not of this world. This is not our home. And it really it goes back to we were designed, created to be in the garden where we walked daily and talked in communion with God. So John Piper says this, uh, bear with me, it's a little long, and he's got a long quote. This is actually from one of his sermons back in 1994. He says this, we belong to God, not to the world, and not to America. We learn to live from him, not from our TVs. And he says, fashion catalogs, I changed it to say social media. If you've, I don't know who has a, a fashion catalog anymore. But I digress. He says this, we are exiles because we are gods. 
we must cultivate the mindset of exiles. What this does mainly is sober us up and wake us up so that we don't drift with the world and take for granted the way the world thinks and acts is the best way. We don't assume what is on TV is helpful to the soul. We don't assume that the strategies and values of business, industry, and government are helpful to the soul. We get our bearings and our wisdom from God and his word. When you see yourself as an alien and as an exile with your citizenship in heaven and God as your only sovereign, you stop drifting with the current of the day. You ponder what is good for the soul and what honors God and everything. There is a, a movie that came out recently on Disney, uh, the Soul movie, and in it, uh, I'm not going to spoil it for anybody, but basically there's a guy that has a near-death experience, and he goes into the land between. His soul is going up to judgment, and he falls off the escalator, and he's in this in-between, and it's because he realized in his life that he had not experienced the ultimate, what he thought would be the ultimate. And it makes me think, as a, as a, and I'm not going to spoil it, you should watch the movie, but it makes me think is do we see ourselves as exiles of this world? Do we say, this is not our home? Or do we focus on the reality of the pain and the suffering or the negative around us and how we want to f- experience the ultimate? In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying to God, and this is what he says, it's called the high priestly prayer, and he says, I have given them your word. The world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And what I love about this is Jesus is praying for Christians. At this time, he is praying for his disciples, saying, I have given them the word, but God, keep them in the world for your glory. Jesus is praying for these Christians that Peter is writing to. And Jesus is praying for us today as Christians. And he's also praying for the future Christians, that we are not of this world. This is not our home. So it makes sense when you look at the context of Peter's letter is that he's reminding us that we are sojourners and exiles. That it's, it's okay, the, we don't have to experience FOMO. That God has made it for something better. And throughout Peter, in, in chapter one, it, Peter gets to what is our hope in? Because he, he writes at the end of First Peter that the grass and the flower, everything in this world will perish and fade. Nothing in this world will satisfy us. And that's why C.S. Lewis says this. He says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And I think this point really kind of hits to the, the second part of verse 11, excuse me real quick, where it says, where Peter writes, it says, so we understand that we're sojourners and exiles, that we are to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. And what Peter is really saying is that the passions of this world, this is not our home, these passions will not satisfy us. They will not sustain us. And I think there's some really great things that God has given us. Uh, I'll be honest, so normally when I prepare for a sermon, I have a lot more time. Uh, Jeff gave me a much shorter notice than normal, so I was feeling a bit stressed. So last Sunday, I didn't go to the business meeting. I stayed home to work on it. And feeling stressed, where do you guys go when you feel stressed? Where do you go? The bar. The bar. I, I knew someone was going to say the bar. <laughs> not the bar. I did not go to the bar last Sunday night. I was stayed home. I, I went to the pantry. All right? I went to the pantry, and probably too much. Um, I opened the pantry, and there was double stuffed Oreos. And I didn't just grab one. I grabbed three. Not, not half. It was three. Um, 
And then it reminded, it triggered me in my brain, there's an article I read about the five most addictive foods. Now I'm going to read this list real quick. Number five is Doritos. Number four is Cheetos. Number three, which I feel like they should be number one, but I digress. Number three is Oreos. Number two is M&M's. And number one was French fries. Uh, I'll leave it to you guys. Uh, I do want to talk about Oreos, though, because I read down in the article, they talked about how they had researchers in 2013, they took with rats, they took rice cakes, I don't know if anyone eats those anymore, uh, rice cakes, I did as a kid so I can make fun of it, uh, they took Oreos and then they gave rats drugs, and the drugs were cocaine and morphine. And here's the crazy thing, is that the drugs, uh, the rats chose the Oreos over everything. And when they studied the brain, there was more pleasure signals in the brain eating the Oreos than cocaine and morphine. All right? <laughs> and I'm not talking about the weird, crazy, yeah, I'm not talking about the weird, crazy, like, single or the weird flavor coming. I'm talking about a good double-stuffed Oreo. So I'll get off the Oreos here in a little bit, but I think about the fact that, and I, and I want to make another point. I am not telling us that we should or shouldn't eat Oreos. I don't, I don't want anyone to leave church saying, man, I went to church and that guy talked about how we shouldn't eat Oreos. That's not what I'm saying. What I want to get at is that God has given us some great things for us to enjoy. He has. I'm going to ask you, this is where you get to respond, what are some of the great things that God has given us? Go ahead and shout them out. Puppies. Puppies. Great, yeah. The beach. <laughs> Persimmons. Man, you guys are very specific. All right. <laughs> Seasons. Okay. Family. Family. All right. Relationships. Family. Yes. What else? Bourbon. Bourbon. Okay. All right, we could say alcohol. Absolutely, he's giving us alcohol to enjoy, right? Psalm says that God's given us wine to make the heart of men glad. What else? Music, Music yeah. So I, I listed a couple, food, relationships, jobs, money. Sex, I can't believe nobody said sex. <laughs> These are all great things that God has given us. And we are in a church, so we should talk about the greatness of God, and in, he's given us sex, thank you. Uh, but here's the, here's the thing, those things do not sustain us. They satisfy us for a moment, right? If I go back to the Oreos, I can eat some, and then I want more. And then after I eat more, then I realize that I feel guilty, and then there's that shame, there's this really bad cycle. So the issue is not these great gifts that God has given us. The issue is when those gifts, those great things, family, relationship, food, sex, when they become the ultimate. And I think, I wanna, I wanna make a, a, a point here, is when we hear that, the passions of the flesh. I think so often we jump to sexual sin. And Peter's not just calling out sexual sin. He's, and we could talk about food, right? I love the cook. I do. And I like to think I'm a good cook. And I like making good food for people because I like to see the response. And then I think about the first time somebody like Adam and Eve tried something. And think about the first time you had something that was delicious. So uh, this is a little, this is how my, my, my mind works. This is not in the Bible. This is just m me thinking. So Adam's like walking around one day and he sees this red thing. He's like, hey, Eve, what's this? She's like, I don't know. He picks it up and he eats it. And he's like, oh, it's delicious. You got to try it. So she eats it and she's like, what is it? So they both eat this little red thing and they're like, hey, God, what is it? And he's like, oh, it's a strawberry. And they're like, oh, God, you were so good. All right, that's how my mind works, right? They're trying stuff for the first time and the result is they praise God. Now, I'm a, I'll be honest, when I eat something good, I usually want to praise the cook, if, especially if it's me, right? Like, yeah, hey, that was good and you like that. Or if it's really good, I might be like, hey, let me just hide that. Nobody needs to know, right? We do that. The crux of that, the issue is we end up worshiping the creation 
and not the creator. So we can take something simple as food and pervert it. We make it the thing we long for. We have issues around food because we make it to be the ultimate. We can talk about sex. Here's another example. Growing up, I remember, this is what I remember hearing, I was a teenager often, is that sex was bad, don't do it. Well, then I experienced sex, and I was like, this is pretty good. What the message should be is that sex is great when it's in the confines of what God wants it to be, in marriage between a man and a woman. That's what God designed it for. But we've perverted sex, and not just today, but throughout history we've perverted We've made it the thing to worship, the thing they long for. That's why we have issues around identity and sexuality, because we've made a creation above the Creator. And these are just two simple topics. We could talk about work. You could unpack careers, money, skill, relationship. And I really, what I think the issue is, is we take this resume of Jesus, the resume of the one that loves us, that will never leave us nor forsake us, the resume of Jesus, we put it on our relationships, where we put it on food or sex, and they let us down. What we think is going to be the ultimate leaves us dissatisfied. So if you go back to that movie, Soul, he's a jazz player, and he's a teacher at the time, and he feels like he has not experienced the ultimate. And he has this near-death experience right before he gets the experience, what he would think would be the ultimate, of playing with this big-time jazz musician. And that's us. But the issue goes back to we take this resume of Jesus and we put it on things or people that are of this world. So when we look at it as we are not, this is not our home. And these things will not satisfy or sustain us. We can't keep putting the resume of Jesus on there. We are made for a relationship with him. If we were to look at Titus chapter 3, and throughout scripture, there are so many passages we could pull from, uh, but I'm going with Titus this morning. It says this in verse 3, For we ourselves were foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. And what jumps out to me is that led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. And I think when you look at religion, not just Christianity, if we take a step back and look at religion, often you, you kind of have two sides. You're either saying, hey, these people are trying really hard to do something good to earn their way, or you think religion is bad because it's controlling people, kind of controlling power and leading to bad things. There's usually two camps you're in. And when we start to look closer at Christianity, the main difference of Christianity is that we are not good enough. We cannot earn our own way. Every other religion, except for Christianity, says that we have to climb up the spiritual ladder. Christianity says, you and I, we can't climb that ladder. Only Jesus can climb down, put us on his back, and take us up to God the Father. Because that shalom, that peace with God was broken. So the Bible, throughout it, makes it very clear that all of us have sinned. All of us have broken that peace. And not just, we can't just blame Adam and Eve because we do it. We want to be like God. We want the things of this world to satisfy us and sustain us. So if we try, we think sex is the ultimate and we experience it and it lets us down, then we look somewhere else. We keep looking to find the ultimate because deep down we know we are made to experience what we think is the ultimate. So with that, let's go back to Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7 says this. 
Right, so we have been led, ast- led astray in verses 3. We were slaves to our passions and pleasures. Verse 4 says this, But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of our works in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of the regeneration the renewal of the Holy Spirit, by whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Our salvation is not earned. That's the beauty of Christianity. You and I can never do enough to be right with God. Yet, I know I still try. I like rules. If it's God's grace, that means God did it for me, and I don't control that, and I almost feel like I owe God. So we want laws, we want rules to say, well, look how good I am. I brought my Bible today. I sang extra loud today. We, we want to look good. And here's what Peter's encouraging us. So if we go down the verse, back to verse 12 now of our passage from 2 Peter, it says this, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. So first, P- Peter's very clear. Not an if statement, but when. When they will speak against you as an evildoer. And as I was prepping for it, I was like, man, evildoer. Hitler, yeah, he's evil. And then I was like, ooh, I'm an evildoer. In, in the eyes of God, I've broken the peace. I've sinned. I'm an evildoer. And I'll be honest, if you guys saw a 30-second clip of the thoughts that I've had this past week, I would be so embarrassed and ashamed. You guys would be appalled and think so low of me. So often, what we try to do is we set up these rules. We try to set up law to make us look good. Even though we know that our salvation comes through Jesus, we still want to have rules or laws. We want to look good to people. We compare ourselves to others. Especially because we know, as Peter says, that the world is going to view us as evildoers. That we're not going to make sense to them. That's why he calls us to abstain, to go to battle against the things that are not going to satisfy us. Because those things will wage war against our soul. And the beauty of it, though, is that Peter says, by doing so, it will glorify God. Not us. And I think that's where often I get in trouble. How do I glorify Dan? How do I make Dan look like a good cook, a good husband, a good dad? But my action should say, look at God. John Piper says this quote that I love. He says this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are satisfied in him. We are made to be satisfied in God. It's for his glory. It's not from Dan's glory or for our glory. So how do, how do we do that? How do we live like Christ? So besides the Bible, there's been a great book I've been reading. It's by Randy Alcorn. It's called The Grace and Truth Paradox. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. And, and he bases a lot of it off of John 1.14. And, and John 1.14 says, And the Word, which is Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us so that we have seen and we have seen his glory the glory of the only son from the father and here listen to this part full of grace and truth jesus is full of grace 
and truth. Not sometimes truth and sometimes grace. 100% grace and truth. And what he says more eloquently in his book is this. He says, what does it mean to be like Jesus? We could come up with a long list of the characteristics of Jesus, but the longer the list, the less we can wrap our minds around it. And he says that Jesus is full of grace and truth taken from Scripture. He continues in his book, he says, people only had to look at Jesus to see what God was like. People today should only have to look at us to see what Jesus is like. For better or for worse, they'll draw conclusions about Christ when they, from what they see in us. And listen to this line, he says, a grace-starved, truth-starved world needs Jesus, full of grace and truth. A grace-starved and truth-starved world needs Jesus. So what does this hungry world see when it looks at us? And that, that's a blow to me. What does the world see when they look at me? What do our coworkers and our neighbors see when they look at us? What do the people in our home group or our core group look at, see when they look at us? Better yet, what do our families see when they look at us? So there's this quote, and I know I'm quoting John Piper a lot today, but he says this, back in his, that sermon from 94, he says, we fit into the world so well that our lives don't point beyond the world. We are no longer aliens and strangers, but simply conforming citizens of the God-ignoring world. Man, those are a lot of harsh words. And in it, though, it points me back to look not at myself, but to look to Christ as my author and my salvation. The, the God sent his own son, Jesus, who was there from the beginning of time, who spoke us into being, that knows the number of galaxies, the number of stars, yet he knows the number of hairs on our head. So Peter is reminding us that Jesus gets the glory, the one that loves us and satisfies us. And if, listen, if you, have, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't have a personal relationship with him, if you have not called him with your heart and confessed with your mouth that he is your savior, today would be an awesome time. I would love to talk to you. Jeff would love to talk to you. Reach out to us. Don't miss the opportunity to know the one, the only one that will ever satisfy you, the one that we are made to be in a relationship with. If, you are, if you're a Christian, I want to give you some framework. Jeff used it last week and talked through these four, these four things. It's, it's the gospel demonstration, demonstration, gospel conversation, gospel explanation, gospel invitation. So I want to just give us a little framework for how we should live and how we should have conversations that are full of grace and truth. So with gospel de- demonstration, I think it starts with us showing the world that the things in this world don't satisfy us, that our hope is not in things of this world. And being a Christian is not good enough to just demonstrate it. That's why it's step one, that gospel demonstration. But it opens up opportunities for to have a relationship with people. To let them see that we love them with grace. It moves us into gospel conversation. which when I, Gospel conversation, so often we want to talk. And the first thing we need to do is just listen. Learn where people are putting their hope. What do they think is going to be the ultimate? What is their hope and their salvation in? Listen. And then you can have those conversations of how your hope is not in things of this world. Which leads you into the gospel explanation where you get to lay out what Jesus, who he is and what he's done for us. And how we don't deserve grace or mercy, but he has freely given it to us. 
And the last aspect is the gospel invitation where we, we invite people to know God as their personal Savior. Scripture says that w- w- with our hearts we know and with our mouth we confess that He is Lord. So I'm going to end with this story and I'll have the band come back up as I'm going to do the story and then we'll do a, a thing that's not of, that makes us look weird we'll do a communion. But I want to end with this story here. This is from uh, World War II and what was going on was there was a missionary couple in the Philippines and the Philippines were taken over by Japan and they became prisoners of the Japan war camp. And they were in this camp for three years and in this camp they had a, a direct commanding officer named Konishi. And Konishi was a pretty bad guy. Maybe you could compare him to Nero. And so this, this missionary, Herb, uh, him and his wife, Ruth, they have a kid named Bobby and their wife is, gets pregnant with, with a second child in camp. And he writes about this plan that Konishi had, and he says this, Konishi found an inventive way to abuse us even more. He increased the food rations but gave us pele, which is an unhusked rice. Eating rice with this razor-sharp outer shell would cause intestinal bleeding that would kill us in hours. We had no tools to remove the husk, and doing the job manually by pounding the grain or rolling it with a heavy stick consumed more calories than the rice would supply. It was a death sentence for all. Yet, throughout Herb's diary are psalms and scriptures praising God and reminding him of the goodness of God and his mercy. There are prayers praying for rescue and for his family. But what jumped out to me in his, in his diary is that there are prayers for the Japanese captors. So in the year, in February of 1945, after being there for three full years, the Allied forces rescued him. Uh, and it says that five days later after being rescued, that the Klingons were at, at the military base and they gave birth to a beautiful, healthy baby girl. Many years later, the Klingons learned that Konishi had been found working as a groundkeeper at a Manila golf course. He was put on trial for war crimes and hanged. But listen to this. But before his execution, he professed conversion to Christianity, saying he had been deeply affected by the testimonies of the Christian missionaries he had persecuted. He had been deeply affected by the testimony of those missionaries and Christians that he had tried to torture. Today, we all go through trials and tribulations. But when we view this world as not our home, when we say that we are sojourners and exiles, we are called to abstain from the passions of the flesh, the things that will not satisfy us or sustain us. We do so so that the unbelievers around us may know and learn the grace, the mercy, and the truth of Jesus. So one of those things we do, which is not really understood by many people, and the band can come back up, uh, we're going to do communion. And communion is remembering what Jesus has done for us. It's, 